0: Welcome
1: to this edition of Beef Monthly, the December 2019 edition. Before we start, I'd like to wish, on behalf of the Department of Animal Science and the Indiana Beef Cattle Association, everyone a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. In this month's headline news, we will provide updates on animal disease, foreign trade, as well as current and upcoming legislative issues from Washington. In the consumer focus section, we'll be talking with Maggie Daly, Education and Industry Relations Director for Indiana Beef Cattle Association. In the Ask Dr. Ron segment, Dr. Keith Johnson and I will be talking about botulism and baleage. In our Producer Focus segment, we will be talking with Donnie Lawson, the Indiana Beef Cattle Association Board of Director and NCBA Policy Director. In Timely Production and Management Tips, we'll be talking about winter management concerns and the upcoming calving season. In upcoming events, we still have five regional beef meetings here around the state, the Indiana Beef Cattle Convention coming up, National Cattlemen's Convention, and a Small Farms Conference. Hi, I'm Dr. Ron Lemonager, Beef Extension Specialist at Purdue University. In headline news, we begin with a story out of Virginia dealing with the Asian long-nosed tick. This tick was first identified in the United States in 2010. and outbreaks of the Aikida strain of the Lyria orientalis It's a tongue twister, okay? Uh, This disease has been seen in Australia and New Zealand, but only recently in the United States. Symptoms of anemia appear one to eight weeks after exposure, and cattle often recover in one to two weeks, but they remain chronically infected. Stresses such as calving can bring the risk for symptoms to reoccur. While there can be death loss, slower growth, and poor reproductive performance are more typical and more subtle in their losses. Historically, we have seen these symptoms in cows with anaplasmosis, but this is now something else to consider. Dr. Lammers, a veterinary pathologist from Virginia Tech, says the region east of the Mississippi is most at risk, and he encourages veterinarians that suspect anaplasmosis to also test for this new Deliria orientalis. In trade, the United States and a Japan trade deal has cleared the final hurdle. Japan's parliament has approved the trade deal, and this agreement clears the way to remove tariffs on $7.2 billion in U.S. farm goods and a phased-in reduction on the duty for U.S. beef down from 38.5% down to 9 This trade deal effectively levels the playing field with other countries selling agricultural products into Japan. Mexico and Canada have both ratified the US-Mexico-Canada Trade Agreement, but it is still waiting on the US to ratify the 16-year treaty. The agreement has left the US House Ways and Means Committee as of this recording. But it has to be voted on in both the House and the Senate to become official. Time is running out for congressional action before Christmas break. But Washington insiders are optimistic that it will be voted on by the House before Christmas and the Senate when they return in January. President Trump has signed off on the so-called Phase 1 trade deal with China, which averts the December 15th an introduction of a new wave of U.S. tariffs on about $160 billion in goods coming from China. In this Phase 1 agreement, China promises to buy more U.S. agricultural goods. Details of the deal have not been made public at this time, and we need to wait and see what happens. In Washington legislative action, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association and the beef industry in general have applauded the introduction of the Real Meat, which stands for Marketing Edible Artifacts Truthfully Act of 2019, introduced by Senator Deb Fisher from Nebraska and U.S. Representatives Roger Marshall from Kansas and Anthony Bradinsky from New York in related Washington legislative actions, presidential hopeful New Jersey senator and vegan activist Cory Booker has proposed legislation that would ban any new controlled animal feeding operations, also known as CAFOs, and require existing CAFOs to close by January 2040. His proposed bill, called the Farm Systems Reform Act of 2019, is an attempt to, quote, transition to a more sustainable and humane system, unquote. Booker's bill would also restore the mandatory cool requirements, which the World Trade Organization has determined detrimental uh, and illegal in the global marketplace on three previous rulings. And now, a word from our good friends at Corteva, who have graciously underwritten this program.
2: Your land is more than a business. It's a heritage that has been passed down from those who tended it before you, by those who shaped it, changed it, and cared for it. Your land has a legacy, one that you carry on, but also one you build on. At Corteva Agriscience, we are the stewards of a lasting legacy. We have a responsibility to Dow AgroSciences, to maintain the relationships and trust they built, and to build upon those foundations to help you care for your land, to provide innovations that help you protect the hard work and investment you've poured into it, to help you build a legacy that can be passed on for generations to come. Corteva Agriscience.
1: harvest is over and the holidays are quickly approaching. Hopefully we'll find a little time to relax and enjoy family. Now is also a great time to start thinking about preparing for the upcoming calving season. Many producers across the state begin calving sometime between January and March And we need to have our calving pens cleaned and bedded before we need them. Think about gathering the supplies needed for calving like calving chains, disinfectants, boots and plastic gloves. Supplies for calf processing such as ear tags, needles and syringes, an esophageal feeder for colostrum and electrolytes, and any pharmaceutical products that you might give to a newborn calf or to those that may need to be treated. We know that colostrum is essential for newborn calves and needs to be consumed preferably in the first six hours after birth. Weak, sluggish calves, or calves that experience a difficult birth are at risk for not getting enough colostrum by natural sucking. Having a supply of frozen colostrum or a commercially available colostrum replacer on hand is highly recommended. If you're using a colostrum commercial product, make sure it contains at least 100 grams of immunoglobulin per dose. The colostrum replacers may seem expensive, but the value of a live, healthy calf at weaning makes it a worthwhile investment. Bulls are also an expensive asset to the cow-calf enterprise, and they need proper nutrition and attention during the winter months. Bulls need to be maintained in moderate body condition to optimize their reproductive capacity. Make sure bulls don't get too fat or too thin because semen quality and quantity can be negatively affected. Remember that semen takes about 60 days to be produced. And so a nutritional deprivation 60 days before the beginning of the breeding season can sure have a negative effect on fertility. Nutritionally, make sure that low-quality forages are tested for nutrient analysis and diets are properly supplemented with energy and protein, and a good commercially available vitamin-mineral mix should be provided free choice at all times. Strategic supplementation will help ensure that cows have a high-quality colostrum, return to estrus within 45 to 50 days after calving, and have the highest probability of conceiving early in the breeding season environmentally we need to protect our cattle and especially the bulls from frostbite we know that energy requirements increase significantly when the wind chill factor drops below 30 degrees fahrenheit or when mud gets above four inches providing windbreaks, shelter and dry bedding are important considerations to reduce the maintenance requirements and to optimize not only current but also future animal performance For those producers interested in daylight calving, feeding hay or supplement at dusk can shift cows from nighttime calving to daytime calving. This management practice has been referred to as the conifal method and has the advantage of easier animal observation and intervention when needed during daylight hours. Additionally, the temperatures are typically warmer for that wet newborn calf. Data from both Iowa and Kansas says that about 85% of the cows fed hay or silage at dusk calf between 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. And in an Oklahoma study, 70% of the cows who had 24-hour access to large round bales but were fed supplement at dusk calved during daylight hours. It's a management practice worth considering. We've got Donnie Lawson from Lawson Land and Cattle Company, Thorntown, Indiana, joining us on this month's producer focus.
3: Donnie, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Donnie, let's talk a little bit about your operation. Well, we are a uh, row crop, cow-calf, feedlot, um, and it involves my wife, my daughter, and uh, a little bit of our, well, our son-in-law also, but then also a little bit of our son. But he's he's active military, and so no. he's not around very much. But he's probably going to come home. We hope so, sounds odd. Yes. We okay, hope. super. You know, you you mentioned the feedlot. You, you've kind of got a unique building that that you put up a few years back. We do, we do. It it uh, it was a big um, a big project, and uh, to get everything done the way that you want it to be done, and do all the, the research. That was something that we spent probably at least two years of looking at other facilities, other states, how they were built, um, the things that people did, the things that they wanted to change. And so we, we took all that into to consideration when we decided to build this building and, and changed a few things, and it, it took us quite a while to do it, but we wanted to make sure that we did it, did it right. Yes, absolutely. Okay. It, so it's a monoslope. Okay, yes, it it's is. a deep bed pack, uh, about a 500 head capacity. Is that right? Really 560 enough? head is, is okay. the maximum capacity of it. And you do some custom feeding. Yes, we do. So we do.
1: Donnie, uh, you're also uh, actively involved in National Cattlemen's Association. Huh. Okay, as a, as a director. Uh, talk a little bit about how you and your operation have benefited by being part of indiana beef cattle association but also
3: ncba well it, it's really important to be involved in in the organizations whether it's on the state level local level also i shouldn't shouldn't exclude that and then on a national level because they all work together and and me being involved on the state level of of coming to the board and and serving as president a few years ago and staying active with with our state organization is extremely important because it's it's the friendships that you make here and and the the contacts across the state and and are you doing everything that needs to be done for the industry in in indiana but then also on the national level of doing the same and i'm so fortunate that that indiana or N C B A or not not NCB. IBCA
4: yeah.
3: asked me to represent Indiana on the national level, and I'm, I'm proud to do that. And, and again, there, it, it's the friendships that you make all across the nation yeah. and, and the contacts that I have, whether it's a, a weekly, monthly, uh, yearly, uh, of finding out what's going on in different areas of the state and how the weather is affecting them and how the industry is affecting them and that friendship that we have of talking to each other all the time about what's going on. Yeah. But then it's also what NCBA does for us, uh, not only for Indiana, but for every state in the nation. You know, and they, they, they've got a very powerful voice in, in Washington. They do. They do. And, and, and one of the things that, that I realized early on when I got involved is that some, sometimes when you get involved with an organization, you wonder about the staff, and you, you think, how are they working things, and what are they doing? staff they're our friends and and i can talk to any of them at any point in time about anything and and they're ready to to help us in any way we can and we've got a fantastic staff on on the ncba of what they do not only nationwide but in dc is really important for us to have a good friendship and and a good relationship with them donnie thank you so much for joining us thank you
1: In this month's segment of Ask Dr. Ron, we're going to talk a little bit about a case study of a a producer that had some cows die because of uh, botulism um, toxicity. Joining me today is Dr. Keith Johnson, and Keith is the uh, extension forage specialist in the Department of Agronomy here at Purdue. Keith, let's talk a little bit about the case.
5: Well, the cases that came to me is the fact that there'd been approximately 11 cows that had passed to somewhere around 40, and so it was a major issue going on. And as it turns out, it was related to the fact that it was the feed source. That had a high pH. And the feed source was wheat with cool season grasses that was made into uh, baleage, in Mm -hmm. other words, silage and bale. and, um, you know, as we think about Clostridium botulinum, uh, we find that the source of this cause of concern might be a decomposing carcass. Okay. Or, as in the case, it appears with this particular case, that it was baleage that was uh, essentially in ensiled, but uh, it got to a pH uh, not desired. We'd like to strive for 45 Or below. Or below. That's right. And in this particular case, uh, it didn't sell that well, and as a result, there were some concerns.
1: So one of the reasons for that high pH, all right, in this particular product was probably forage maturity, maybe?
5: I would say probably in this particular case with the wet spring of 2019 that we had, it was delayed for sure.
1: So so one of the problems with that delayed maturity is available carbohydrates for the fermentation process to go.
5: That's right. Exactly
1: so. So that's
5: why corn, you know, readily from our experiments because it has so much starch. But we look at the cool season grasses and small grains and legumes. They just don't have that type of carbohydrate. Keith,
1: we've, we've had this conversation before, you know, and, and you know, back – some time ago, when baleage was first introduced, I think we our producers were following the, the protocol pretty close to the book. That's right. Um, maybe we've got a little bit lax in some cases, and and so moisture is the other problem that we see with with exactly. botulinum, All right. Exactly. So you got the fermentation going on, but we've got to have moisture and we've got to have the carbohydrate. The right. The right amount
5: of moisture is 50 to 60 percent, and we need to be uh, wrapping these bales right after we get them baled and not linger into the next day. Uh, we need to have them uniform and. Size. We need to make sure that we have high-quality plastic that we're wrapping with enough
1: wraps uh,
5: to make sure that we're excluding oxygen yeah. to make sure that we get fermentation to occur.
1: And I think, you know, producers need to understand kind of what the symptoms are as well. All ages can be affected, probably cattle after weaning, whenever they're on uh, delivered feed product it's right. probably more critical uh, than a calf that's a nursing mom maybe. Uh, but, you know, th- what you're going to see from a, from a symptom standpoint is it's probably going to start with muscle incoordination in the back end of the cow, okay, the hind legs. Exactly what was happening in this particular case. Okay, the tail is going to go flaccid, right. all right, and then it's going to progress towards the front of the animal, and so we'll get head, jaw, tongue. You know, that's a lot of times these cattle will be, have their tongue hanging out. They can't coordinate it. Right. They can't eat. You'll see probably a lot of drooling and ultimately collapse and death, and that can happen pretty fast okay. depending on, uh, you know, the potency of the toxin, all right, and quite honestly, it
5: doesn't take very much. Well, how much time from the time of eating, then, do we start seeing potential of these symptoms that you talked
1: about? Well, it can, in a in a really big dose, okay, so if an animal was eating right next to uh, maybe a place on a bale that had a dead carcass, right, right?
0: Uh,
1: they would get a pretty good slug of uh, botulinum, right, uh, and you know it could happen in 12 to 24 hours. The lower the amount consumed, though, what we can do is we can see it spreading out until maybe as far as three weeks, right, all right, and I think you, you know, you kind
5: of saw that in this case study, absolutely, because initially, you know, it gotten up to 11, and well, the last conversation I had, it creeped up to 20 and that occurred over the course of a couple of weeks.
1: So I, I mean I, I, it, it, it can be extremely fatal and so if, if you were going to make a recommendation to our producers to minimize the risk of potential botulinum organism being a toxicity issue, what would you tell them?
5: Well I'd say really pay attention to the protocol of making baleage and that again is maturity as best as we can. I'd be looking at the right moisture. Yeah. I'd be making sure that we have dense bales, making sure we're wrapping as quickly as we can after the baling process is done. Preferably
1: four hours or less.
5: That's right. And uniform size uh, such that we don't have air gap potential as we're wrapping these uh, bales in a, in a in a tube, okay, if we're doing that type of uh, process of doing the balage making. Um, and I think also then just be aware if uh, you happen to see that uh, something ends up in a bale such as a uh, animal that you caught as you're baling, uh, take the time to, you know, find that source if you can and make sure that it's not in that bale as it uh, ferments to have this clostridium build up.
1: And I think, uh, you know, uh, that whole idea of minimizing animal and snake carcass contamination, you know, if you see something when you're when you're more conditioning, you know, your hay uh, or your forage crop, you know, get off the tractor and, and move it off to the side so that, you know, it, we don't bring it into the bale. The other one that I guess I would add is, you know, make sure that you've got a clean, safe water supply because water is another one that we didn't see in this particular case study, but it sure can be a contaminant, particularly if you've got a dead animal in a water supply. Uh, You know whether it's a pond or a tank or whatever. Uh, I would mention that in the show show notes below this video, um, we're going to list a couple of the labs that, if you're concerned. But before we get to that, I guess I'd like to say, Keith, you know, you and I think I think we agree that you know, get a nutrient analysis. Absolutely always. And in the case of baleage, okay, and silages, get a pH. That's right. Because again, the target that we're looking for is a
5: pH of 4.5 or less. And if we don't take time to know what that pH is. um, you know, we can have a bit of concern, so we want to make sure that we are, and if it's higher than that, then I think you look at uh, the need possibly then to seek out one of these laboratories to see if the Clostridium Botulinum is there. Keith, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. In
4: this
1: version of Beef Monthly, kind um, of asked, Maggie Daly, who is the Education and Industry Relations Director for Indiana Beef Cattle Association. And Maggie, you uh, work a lot with the checkoff Dollars, part of the beef industry. Talk a little bit about, you know, how my, as a producer, when I'm given my dollar, okay, for every animal that I sell, how's I getting invested here in the state?
6: Okay, that's a very good question. So those dollars going to the checkoff, they are have to be used for certain parts of certain things going into promotion. They can only go into certain aspects. So for example, I do a lot with education, with high schools and middle schools within the state of Indiana. So I will go to, I will get asked to come to a school. I will do either family consumer science classes or ad classes most commonly. And I talk about beef as a product, how to prepare it, some different cuts to look at, what the different cuts are, they come from, some animal handling. I also cook them a little bit of steak on a George Foreman grill just to kind of hammer that message home and to give them a little taste, let them know what they're working with here. And it always leaves them wanting a little bit more. So plus with that on the agricultural side, I tend to add a little bit more about animal care. I've also done some more like career classes Mm with high schools, especially I've actually done a couple uh, with Purdue. I've gone to a couple of animal science classes at Purdue, but talking about there are other jobs within the industry besides just If you have a farming background or you want to go into veterinarian, there's more you can do to help the industry, not just from the hands-on standpoint, but communications, technology, research, uh, nutrition. There's a lot of different things you can do to help and promote.
1: What's so neat about that is that you know a lot of times as a producer, it's really hard to get into a school or make time to go and do the school, but you know your role is to really tell our story, absolutely, okay, and have some impressions at some at a very young age, if you will, okay. next next generation consumer, okay, the millennials, okay, and that's that's critical, and having said that, how are you communicating with millennials beyond the classroom?
6: So, beyond the classroom, we do a lot of work with social media. We have a pretty large presence on Facebook. We have a Twitter account um, posting, and we get a lot of our information from the national office as well, but we promote all the products. We promote it being nutrition, and we also – different industry – different industry information going on out there. We promote it through that aspect. We've done different campaigns on social media. We also participate in some larger events. Uh, We we were part of the Indy Burger Battle Mm -hmm. this past year. Uh, We were a major sponsor there. Uh, We've done a chili cook-off. We had a campaign in Fort Wayne just recently with Casa Restaurants and working with their radio stations, kind of promoting that message. Uh, We've had billboards around the Indianapolis area as well, promoting beef as a product. Uh, We also have our website that has different – Kind of information about what we've been up to and recipes. If you're looking at some holiday entertaining, we've got some great things, some different things to look at besides just turkey and ham. So we have well, a really great beef
1: And, and the, the neat thing is, is that it could be center of the plate kind of yes. recipes. It could be a sandwich recipe, or Absolutely. maybe an hors d'oeuvre yes. and finger food stuff that maybe we haven't talked too much about as in our home meal for our preparation. Another area that you get have been pretty heavily involved with is 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 the adult education part of this, okay, with the culinary and,
4: the, and dietetics kind of folks. Talk a little bit about that.
6: So we, uh, the Indiana Beef, actually has a spot on the Indiana Nutrition Council for, again, we are on this board with a couple different commodity groups as well as a lot of dietitian, dietary professors and some of the larger colleges, Purdue, IPY, IU. They all have different representatives on this board. Mm-hmm. So we've reached out to them, and this past year we had a farm-to-fork tour. So we brought in, we had some chefs from the American Culinary Federation and we had largely a class of graduate students within the College of Dietetics. So they got to see a cow to calf on for operation. They got to talk to the farmer. They got to see his overall procedures and practices, animal handling. They got to talk to a representative from an animal pharmaceutical company to talk about antibiotics. They talked to our meat scientists on our board and got to see how the different cuts break down, how they could break down their own quarter of beef if they'd like to. and I'm just talking to a veterinarian on how they do animal care and the proper procedures for that as well. So we do a pre-tour and post-tour survey. So we get yeah. to see how they feel about the industry going in and how they feel about it after seeing everything. And so we have always had a great impact. A lot of people that especially don't come from an agricultural background, they're generally – kind of neutral. They'll have kind of either, well, I like eating it, but I don't know if it's good for me. I don't know if they're nice to the animals. I don't know what the environmental impact is. So they're right there on the fence. But after these tours, they're like, well, now I can feel good about eating it. I know where it comes from. I know where it's good for me. I know what the environmental impact is. So we've always had a really great upturn of positive reviews and people having positive views of the industry. Even, we've had a couple people that are vegetarian and vegans going into these uh, from the IU Py dietary class, they actually did a full assignment and she, the professor sent me all the results. And even the ones that still don't have a lot of beef in their diet, don't choose to have a lot of beef in their diet, would still recommend it to their clients, especially ones that need that higher amount of protein, iron, Thanks. vitamin B12, mm-hmm. yep. just very nutrient dense. So had a very great positive. The thing that's neat about that is is that it has a multiplier
1: effect. Yes. Okay. I mean you're talking about some key influencers when you talk about the dietitians, you talk about the culinary institutes, yes. you know, if they don't prepare it, they can't serve it. And, and and from the standpoint of, of recommending diets, <laughs> you know, if, if they feel good about putting a nutrient-dense beef product in the diet, that's, that's a big deal. It is a
6: big deal, absolutely. So it it has a trickle effect where they we go to the source and they spread it to other people. I mean, we've had issues with people spreading a negative image just through word of mouth, and why can't we do the same thing but with a positive image? Positive spin. And not only have, did they just see it – on some sort of internet website or just seen some video they got to see it in person see the animals in person see the procedures talk to real experts in their field it's just getting to see the real story
1: maggie thank you so much for joining Thank you for having me this month's upcoming programs and events really starts with the five area beef meetings that remain to be held Area 3 is in Evansville, January 15th. Area 6 is in Johnson County Fairgrounds, January 14th. Area 8, Cass County Fairgrounds, January 9th. Area 10, Plymouth, Indiana, January 7th. And Area 11, Columbia City, on January 8th also have the Indiana Beef Cattle Convention co- coming up on January 25th. It will be held at the Sheridan North in Indianapolis. Registration can be made through the IBCA website and the show notes below. The National Cattlemen's Beef Association National Convention and Trade Show is February 4 to 7 in San Antonio, Texas. Registration and information can also be found in the show notes below this video. Natural Resources and Conservation Service, or NRCS, has released notification of uh, conservation collaboration grants that are due on February 7th. This is a 50-50 cost share with producers. It's a grant program designed to improve, restore, or maintain natural resources. For more information on how you might benefit, please visit your local NRC office for eligibility and program requirements. The Indiana Small Farms Conference will be held in the Hendricks County Fairgrounds in Danville, Indiana, on March 5 to 7. Registration information can be found in the show notes below this video. On Saturday, January 18th. There will be a cow-calf improvement seminar held at the Orange County Community Center in Paoli, Indiana. The program starts at 9 o'clock and goes to 3.30. Uh, the theme for this uh, seminar is really on selection, and the speakers are uh, Matt Clays, Dr. Gordon Jones from Kentucky, and thus Dr. Justin Reinhardt from the University of Tennessee.
2: The production of the Animal Science Department at Purdue University.